Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast, the podcast all about the good, the bad and the ugly of British policing. If you're interested in how policing works and you want to hear some incredible people talking about what they did in their policing careers, then this is definitely the podcast for you. Sometimes we cover some pretty gory or distressing subjects and there may be a bit of swearing from time to time. So probably best to keep the kids out of earshot. Right, here we go. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast episode 73. This week I'm going to be interviewing someone who's been doing so much good work for police officers who are thinking of leaving the police I and mean, it grieves me to say that I kind of it's a bittersweet sort of feeling to even say that I don't I don't like um, the fact that there are so many police officers thinking of leaving at the moment but it's just a reality and um, so our guest this week is Joe Crocker and Joe uh, left the police so he's going to talk all about that and uh, went into private uh, the private sector into technology and he is now really passionate about helping people who are thinking of leaving the police to decide what it is that they want to do in a life outside of policing. Uh, or for that matter, people who have done their full career and are now sort of thinking about, OK, what next? And he's going to talk all about that. So, uh, so yeah, really, really, really good to chat to him and... Um, yeah, really good guy. So the thing that I suppose is linked to that is there's been quite a lot of stuff in the media in the last few weeks about the numbers of officers nationally who are uh, leaving, uh, who are actually leaving or who have left, uh, or for that matter, are thinking of leaving. Really sad, really sad. I mean, I just got it really grieves me to to think that what was previously something that people genuinely aspired to do for a, for a long-term career uh, of, of 30 years or, or even more as now just seen as a job that they can do for maybe one or two years, pay off some student debts and, um, and, and just go with a degree uh, courtesy of the police. And this is another one of the... Uh, completely predictable um, symptoms or side effects of insisting that everyone does a degree. So at a time when cost of living uh, crisis is uh, forcing police officers to use things like food banks, it's just, um, I can't even, I, I listen to myself saying that, I just can't believe it. Um, and uh, at the same time, you're also giving people for free a degree which they then take out of the organisation to go and earn more money somewhere else. It's just it just wasn't clearly wasn't thought through at all. But anyway, I don't want to get on to the I don't want to get onto the whole police degree thing because um, yeah, it's such a divisive subject. I've fallen out with a few people on particularly on LinkedIn over it, and I'm just a bit bored talking about it. But uh, but yeah, the police federation announced last week that they had done a national survey of police officers looking at issues of 
pay and morale and um, unsurprisingly morale incredibly low um, issues around mental health uh, massive in the organization and according to their survey one in five officers is either planning to leave or thinking about leaving within the next two years which would completely wipe out any gains that the organization has made through the operation of uplift program and uh yeah create a bit of a crisis um so yeah watch this space we'll see see where that one goes and the other big story this week which is just depressing beyond words i'm sorry this sounds so gloomy doesn't it very often my introductions are very very little good news about policing but uh, that's the nature name of the game at the moment unfortunately is the unbelievable terrible news about the crimes committed over a very very long period by pc david carrick who has admitted uh, the best part of 20 years of offending as a serial rapist and uh, abuser of many, many women who have fallen for his probably initial charms, which then turned into a complete uh, nightmare for them. I think the, the single biggest thing that you can say about this is that yet again, we're seeing a complete failure of supervision, a complete failure in the vetting processes, and an, I think what can only be described as an absence of professional curiosity on the part of the organization about someone who they deem fit to give a gun to, uh, where it's absolutely clear that this is someone who has got a long track record of bad behaviour, particularly bad behaviour towards women. And uh, I believe there was something like nine referrals made to police over a very long period of time about his behaviour, all of which would appear to have been pretty much ignored, uh, which were not picked up in in any vetting or refresh of his vetting status and uh, I can only guess as to why that uh, w w was that because he just wasn't uh, his vetting wasn't conducted is it is that a failure of intelligence systems um, but one way or another the very fact that that uh, his nickname on co with colleagues was bastard Dave kind of should have started alarm bells ringing with sergeants and inspectors, I, I just I, I I'm 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 not speechless, am I? Because I'm rabbiting on about it, but it it leaves me absolutely just thinking, what on earth has happened to allow that man to stay in the police service? And I feel desperately sorry for for the overwhelming number of police officers, past and present, who who are just as shocked as I am about all of this. Most police officers, I keep on saying, are good people. They join the job uh, because they want to tackle criminality, put bad people behind bars, protect the nice people, protect the public from harm. And then something like this comes along and it just knocks the whole organisation for six. Um, 
I think politically, this really sets the police service back in terms of, I think, any efforts that they may be trying to fight to get the establishment on their side to address lack of resources, to address poor pay, poor, you know, terms and conditions of employment. This really sets that whole agenda right back. There's going to be almost zero public affection towards policing. It's not going to be seen as a vote winner now. People, in the minds of many people, they're, they're going to look at police officers, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, obviously, they're going to look at a lot of police officers and they will not feel any sympathy towards them whatsoever on the back of this series of just bad news stories after bad news stories. So any attempt, I think, that the, the organisation may be fighting to improve the pay and conditions of policing is going to be set right back by all of this kind of stuff. Um, there's also something there for me about the role that this man had in the organisation. Now, at the risk of sounding really, really unfair to, I'm sure, the vast majority of people on what was previously known as the DPG, Diplomatic Protection Group, which is now known as, I think, is it Diplomatic and Parliamentary Protection or something like that, that particular command. There is something there for me about the devil making work for idle hands. And when I was in the Met, um, it was always a little bit of a standing joke that the only people who went to DPG, Diplomatic Protection, were people who maybe wanted a job that had almost no demands made on them uh, so that they could study for exams, because an awful lot of that job, in fact, probably the majority of it, is standing around outside embassies and buildings with a gun doing not very much. It's about physical security of buildings. And I am a strong believer that when people don't have enough to do, they get up to mischief. And it, it's hardly, it, there's something there for me about the fact that both he and Wayne Cousins, the murderer of Sarah Everard, were both in that department. There's clearly something sick within parts of that department. And I don't know, that could be, I could be being incredibly unfair there, but I think that the organization needs to take a long, hard look at the culture within that, that department. It had to, I had to sort of roll my eyes today when I read some of the headlines around uh, the way the media talk about about that that team as it being the elite diplomatic protection department, which is like no 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 no, there's nothing elite about that about that group of people. I mean, again, you know, there's lots. I'm sure. I know there will be lots of really brilliant people doing that job, but I I knew quite a few people over the years who were part of that team who were not the hardest working, quite honestly, and they just wanted a really, really quiet life. So I think the Met needs to take a real look at that department and say there's something not right there. Anyway, I've probably pissed off every single person who ever worked in diplomatic protection. But hey-ho, there you go. Right, let's get into the interview with Joe. Ian, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Hang on, why can't I hear? Because I've got no volume. Two seconds. There we go. Much better. 
hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my fault. Uh, volume down. How are you? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. I just think, yeah, it's all right. I had a little echo there, but uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's good. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's good to have you have you on the podcast actually because uh, we've exchanged a lot of messages, haven't we? And uh, the 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 part by the power of LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, we... over the last year, it's uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great actually. Just having someone who um, who'd who'd kind of done it and was obviously kind of talking and had published books and stuff for me it was quite um yeah it was quite something to kind of to see somebody with with your kind of experience talking about um the challenges they face so openly um yeah it was uh really inspiring actually so yeah I, I owe you a thank you I certainly owe you a beer when I, uh, when I see you well that's very kind of you but um no I got a love I got uh I get a lot of nice messages and I got a really nice one this morning from a lady who is a uh sort of educate working in education um around sort of education public policy mm. and is doing some work with police officers and then get their sort of training stage and and she, she was saying that she's learned so much about policing from listening to the podcast yeah and uh and is recommending it to all our other lecturers and students and everything so that's great and it's nice to sort of feel that you're sort of helping people who sort of fill gaps in their understanding because but we all we all know don't we that um when you start out in the police, uh, particularly whenever you're in the very early stages, it just feels like, what the hell is going on, you know? No, <laughs> no idea. So so, there. so listen, um, what would be good to do would be um, let's talk about, well, so if you briefly introduce yourself, uh, what you're currently doing, briefly a bit about your background, and then we'll go right back to sort of early days and talk about your decision to join the police and all of that stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So um, forgive the I just realised there's tinsel in the background, which is going to date terribly. Yeah, it's uh, tinsel by some children. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm Joe Crocker, and uh, I was in Avon and Somerset Police for just about ten years. Um, I joined not quite fresh out of uni, but but early doors. Um, I got a, a job working in bars. I'd worked kind of through uni and stuff, uh, and progressed through from response policing to kind of neighbourhood policing, proactive. Um, vice units working with a lot of drugs and, and prostitute stuff and from there developed an interest in phone forensics which was early doors at the time it was it was kind of the reserve of the major crime investigation teams and not particularly well understood and I I just fell in love with it and um, became very much a champion for it learned more about comms data that got me into uh, CID Mm-hmm. And from CID, decided I wanted to work on the on the digital forensics unit regionally. That was just, you know, for me, that was cutting edge of policing. Uh, yeah. Learned all about telematics and open source intelligence and all the stuff that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Set up one of the first specialist digital investigations units and decided that, um, you know, maybe a future in 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 cyber crime kind of outside of the police was was something that was going to happen. Um, it didn't. I ended up transferring up to London um, to work on a project improving digital investigations for counterterrorism units uh, and found myself kind of, I guess, where I felt at the top of the tree in policing, mm-hmm. like I was in the mm-hmm. Met. This is where it was going to be, you know, it, it, yeah. everything that I expected it to be and, and found myself a little disappointed, to be honest. I just, right. you know, it was um, yeah, not what it meant to be. And yeah, came across a company called Immersive Labs who were doing some really um, innovative stuff with kind of labs and training. And, and the reason I went there was because that was what we we're going to use to train counterterrorism police officers. Like that, that for me was, was how we were going to do it. Yep. They were advertising for a job. 
um, writing content about you know how cybercrime affects businesses, and and I threw my hat in the ring really, and and from there I've gone on to to become a product manager in e-learning and and tech products. So um, yeah, that's that, that's a brief background, I suppose. Excellent. Oh wow, there's a lot there, um, <laughs> and that's really interesting because I'm doing a lot of stuff around what you've just described. Cool. Um, just uh, having recently one of the co-founders of. Uh, company doing all of that stuff so yeah we can talk a, talk a little bit about that later on i suppose sure. um so uh going right back then to early days um you were at university what did you study at uni uh english language i think it was easy of all the languages i already spoke it uh <laughs> and i had no idea what to do when i when i left when my family had never been to uni my family were all police actually um, and I tried very hard to fling the apple a bit further from the tree than that. Uh, and, and yeah, it, 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 but it sucked you in. Well, it did. Yeah. I was, uh, I was skint and I had in one hand, I had a ticket to Australia and in the other hand, I'd had an, uh, the offer to come to the assessment center for the police. And I, I genuinely flipped a coin. Um, oh. and, and yeah, the rest was history really, but my mum wow. encouraged me to apply and, and yeah, that's what and, happened. And, uh, you say you've family in the police. So who, who are we talking? Are you talking parents or? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so my dad was, uh, he works as a detective in Bristol. My mum recently retired. She was a incident manager for uh, FIM. Um, and uh, my cousin was in the Met. My uncle was in the Met. Um, and my aunt was a nurse. So yeah, it's a oh, real, wow. real family background. So there was no escaping it then. Yeah. I don't think so. Looking back on anything, I have much choice really. <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. Um, so we, we, you joined Avon Somerset, did you? Yeah, joined David in Somerset, which was kind of where my mum and dad worked. And um, yeah. Oh, that must have been a bit weird. It was, was weird because it... I, I went in the same nick that my dad worked in. And, and they, you know, some cops hang around for kind of 30 years and stuff. So some of the custody sergeants and the training staff that were there that recognized me, recognized the family. And that, that was a bit weird. But I think um, I think it was a benefit in the long run. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of pride, isn't it? It's like yeah. that sort of it's the police family thing, isn't it? I mean, so when a multiple members of the same family join the police family it's a it's a double whammy isn't it and um yeah there's a lot of ease to work with well my brother and i were in the police together in the met and we ended up in the same department in special branch so, nice. so i know how that feels and um yeah it's uh it's it's interesting used to work with quite a lot of uh you know fathers and sons and things like that it's so weird whenever somebody walks in the police station and you look at them and you go oh my god you just look like a young version of such and such, you know. And the awkward bit was when they were like, "I remember you when you were six years old," and I just arrested somebody, and I just said, "You know, not now. Like, I can't. I could do without that right this second." But um, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Excellent. So, where, where did you do your training? Uh, that was David and Somerset, uh, and um, yeah, the, the, the normal six month stuff. And I wasn't. Um, I found it really difficult because I was used to people who, you know, a bit more old school. And all the stories that I'd heard about how it was going to be in the police, I actually found training school really difficult. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I got out and I was on probation and, and my tutor, who was fantastic, um, you know, took me out around, around Trinity Road in Eastern. And we, we started stop searching people when it, it finally clicked. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah, right. OK, this is what these are the kind about. of people that I'm used yeah. to hearing stories from about what the job is actually like. And um, yeah. yeah, I had some real I had some real difficulties in training school, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, it's a different thing, isn't it, compared to academic learning? I mean, there's a lot of having to learn. I mean, it's probably it's interesting because when you speak to people who are going through the process now, it seems to be quite a lot of academic stuff. Whereas 
you know, certainly when I did it, I don't know about when you did it, there was a lot of rote learning. You literally had to learn acts and sections word perfectly. And yes. uh, and that wasn't something. It was a bit like I used to have to when you're at school. Do you remember having to learn a having to learn a poem? Yes. You know, exactly the oh, same. God, it's just a nightmare, isn't it? And there were lots of people who were specials or PCSOs or whatever before before me. And I didn't have any of that experience. So, yeah, I found it found it really difficult, really difficult. Um, and yeah, it only really clicked when I left, to be honest. And so you got posted to where as your first nick? It was Trinity Road, um, which nobody wanted, but kind of carried a bit of the kudos, I suppose, in, in Avon and Somerset. It's the bit in St. Paul's and Eastern and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so right in the thick of it. And um, yeah, loved it. Loved it. Really enjoyed it. And and I think, you know, credit to my parents who'd given me, you know, a, f- a fantastic upbringing. I was probably a little bit wet behind the ears and I think some of the life experience that I yeah. got from doing that the people I met and the things I had to deal with um mm. yeah I, I credit more than I'd credit university as to kind of an education I suppose did you um go home and tell your mom and dad loads of war stories and stuff or did they go <laughs> no 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 I don't want to talk about that uh do you know what my mum was pretty good with it uh yeah, I mean, there's some weird occasions where she was the kind of the fim on duty whilst I was out and about. So that she found that a bit difficult, I think. But mm. um, yeah, it, I mean, she was great. I've got to be honest. She was, she was a, they were all a huge support. So all the stuff I was struggling with, I found difficult. Yeah, um, yeah they, 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 one generated. of my, one of my earliest podcast guests, Kerry Young, who I used to work with, we were sergeants together in Coventry. Um, she, she joined um, and her was police family and she used to come home off nights and her dad would be sitting having his breakfast or whatever. And uh, he, he, she'd be like, "Oh, you won't believe what happened last night." And he goes, "Not interested. Don't want to hear your don't want to hear your war stories. It's like all I all I care about is that you would need to work hard, keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, and uh, get on with it." <laughs> he was a he was like in a real old school DCI, I think, or something. You know? but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of that. A lot of that. Keep your head down and, and crack on with it was uh, the yeah, way yeah. it used to be, right? So you obviously got into the more investigative side of side of things, and that was obviously through quite a in those days so that's just a timestamp this where what what year did you join then 2010 and uh i was in cid i was in cid training um yeah within four years okay so, so that was through quite a niche kind of area really around um digital forensics and technology so given yeah. that you did a english language degree that's quite a departure isn't it yeah, I guess it is. I, I think I enjoyed writing the, uh, I enjoyed writing cases, like that like case files interested me and the, the way that I, I feel that there's an awful lot of weight put on how well you tell that story. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Actually, it's quite a small thing, but if you can't explain it very well, then the case isn't going to get through. Whereas if you can, then, and you can write persuasively, then I think yeah. there's a bit of a, a bit of leverage there, which we don't Definitely, really talk about yeah. much. Um, but uh, yeah, I've always kind of been interested in technology, I suppose, you know, it's a, a, a tech fan or a geek or whatever you want to call it. Like that's always mm-hmm. been a thing. And I was on a proactive, um, you know, drugs investigations unit. And I just saw that the, it was right at the time, the impact of getting text messages off phones and connecting kind of burner phones and users. And mm-hmm. certainly the movements of individuals was doing for kind of drugs cases and and, and prostitution cases. And right. It was just so hard to get that. I, I found it amazing how hard it was to get that evidence. We were at the stage where it was like six to eight months to get data back from a phone, which would have, mm. you know. So I, I took it upon myself to, to to get trained up in doing it. It didn't look hard. It was just kind of plug it into a machine and yeah. and all that stuff. And um, yeah, it, it went from there really. And and all of a sudden, because you can do it, and because you're in the proactive unit, 
Yeah. Cops would come to you and say, can you do this for me? Because they're excited mm. about a job or whatever. And it was great to be able to, to, to do that. And you end up writing statements and going to court and just, just yeah. getting comfortable with it. It's funny, isn't it? High in policing, you can very quickly become the expert, can't you? Yes. It's like yeah. in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, isn't it? It's like, you know, you only have to have a little bit of knowledge and suddenly you're the expert. And then, but then if you're interested, and this is kind of probably I'm describing myself here as well, if you're really interested in this stuff, which I am, I'm really interested in technology, um, then uh, you, it, it's not a chore, is it? You you just you just hoover up, hoover up all that uh, knowledge and it's something that you just enjoy talking about, reading about. And uh, and then before you know it, remember for me, I, before I knew it, I was like the, I was like the force need for digital yeah. investigations and i was like shit how did that happen you know well, yeah, i found myself on stage <laughs> do you know what i mean and it was just it's like a bit, of, a, bit of imposter like, uh, syndrome yeah 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 100 yeah, and and i and i found it wasn't until i realized that everybody uh not everybody but lots of people lie so we were we'd ask about um you know uh, comms data and and ripper and people say oh you need to do a swallow check chat to whoever or you need to do a chat they, they, they throw words out. i don't know what that means and because yeah. i was still quite new i wouldn't go like what is that you Go around people you trust and ask them and they go oh i don't know and you'd assume that all the people that were doing this stuff knew more than you and actually most of the time they, they really didn't or they didn't understand it in the level of depth that you expected them to mm. so um there's definitely a step where you kind of take it and go yeah, actually yeah I, I do know this stuff and if i don't then i'm confident enough to ask the questions yeah yeah and definitely. i think when you get there that's when you yeah. start to kind of own it a bit so really so for people who are listening who just it's quite useful just to sort of explain um, the way that policing has kind of embraced or not embraced for that matter technology. Mm. So there's kind of like you can sort of put people into different, I think you can put people into different sort of um, camps when it comes to technology. There's those who um, don't understand it, don't want to understand it and, and kind of bitterly resist anything yeah. new that kind of comes along. And then you've got people who are open to learning about it and don't particularly want to understand the ins and outs of how it all works they just need to understand what will this give me from yes. an from an investigative point of view and then working further up the tree then i suppose then you've got people who are really knowledgeable about it um but not technical and yeah. i suppose and i suppose that's where i put myself you yeah. know I, i'm not i've never coded i don't want to i'm not interested in coding but I really understand the technology. I really understand how police use technology and what it can give you from an investigative point of view. And then right at the top of the tree is the people who are the proper geeks who who really, really, uh, and, and you. so I'm thinking about people who are like the high-end <laughs> DMIs who really understand it and are really, really into it, you know? I think that's really interesting is the way that you describe that tree structure because actually the people you put at the top of that tree are now right at the bottom of the rank structure do you know that's, what i mean that's yeah that's a good point actually right at the bottom and often staff you know and often don't have that kind of investigative and, and conversely conversely joe the people at the bottom of that tree are often very very senior aren't they yes very much and 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 i think it's a joy when you get someone like yourself who is really passionately interested in in it and recognizes that you know that there are things that can be done there don't i don't need i never needed somebody to be a coder i never needed somebody to be you know super technically savvy um but i did need somebody to recognize that you know there were things that could be done and 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 these people at the bottom of the rank structure 
could potentially provide you with with advice and strategies and guidance and stuff that you wouldn't have considered um yeah. and, and engage in that kind of way and, and there's not many people that do an awful lot of kind of um cell site surveys or or or, or phone mass dumps and all these kind of things that that might be relevant um, and mm. to be able to have that conversation on a level with somebody at such a high kind of level of seniority in the in the police was was rare. Usually yeah. they come to and say, "I want this, this, and this done," and then you yeah. go, "Okay, well that's going to be expensive, or that's not going to work, or we've done this before and not not seen levels of success that perhaps you're expecting, but we could try something else instead." Yeah. Yeah. And you get shut down and be told, "No, this is what I want to do." Yeah. Um, and it's an I interesting because I used to I used to sign a lot of the covert authorities around uh, technology around sort of. Yeah, covert surveillance, te- mm. technical surveillance, and um, they knew they couldn't bullshit me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so the DCs and DSs who were coming to me for the working on the complex crime units, whatever, they knew that there's no point in trying to bullshit me about yeah. what this would give them from an investigative point of view. Uh, and to be fair, they 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 they, they understood um, the value of certain. Um, you know tactics mm-hmm. and uh but yeah but it's quite it is quite unusual to get people of sort of chief inspector rank and above who really yeah. understand and who really are really into it you know yeah yeah ao is different and, and when you get a good one they you know that some magic happens there where you can really start to talk about tactics and trying different things and new things out and mm. um yeah but it yeah it's, it was rare in my experience really rare yeah, yeah. so so obviously you um so you, did you transfer to the Met or did, was that a kind of like a secondment? Yeah, so I'd start, set up this kind of digital investigations unit and uh, the College of Policing were investing heavily in it. And then that funding sort of stopped uh, and we stopped getting visits from um, from College of Policing. And, and the effort and the investment into creating this sort of hub and spoke digital investigations model sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. Um and I got, I'd, I'd become a bit frustrated. I think that we brought different sergeants in and, and the unit was going in different directions and I didn't really have any control over it. And um, I trained to work undercover and I wanted to work with the undercover unit doing this kind of stuff and they wouldn't release me. Um, if I wanted to get promoted, I'd have mm. to go to custody or to back to main office and I didn't want to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I asked for a secondment and was rejected. And if I'm honest, I um, put the paperwork in when I knew the superintendent was on leave. <laughs> the person who signed it had no idea what was going on, and good, once it was signed, it was done. Good skills. Well, it was a bit, it was a bit devious, but yeah, it got to the point where I, I you know, I, I definitely needed something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I, so yeah, I got this comment to London. Um, I was a team part of a team of eight police officers working with kind of IBM and, and other consultants. Was that the Enders prog- program? Yeah, close to the end does. Yeah, we probably okay. part of it. So um I can't even remember the name of it now. I wasn't I was only there for sort of six to eight months. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, I, I found myself in lots of meetings working with lots of consultants doing lots of business processes that I understand now, but at the time I I had no idea about. Mm. And if I'm honest, you know, I was I was very well looked after. They I, you know got given a credit card and a and free travel and a flat and all the stuff that you get when you go up to the yeah, Met. Yeah. And I maybe had to do two hours of work a week. You know, most of it was travel. A lot of it was just kind of reading emails and putting my name at the bottom of it. And and mm. and and yeah, I just felt that I remember there was a guy who came to me and he showed me this 100 page spreadsheet that he printed out. And I just thought this is, you know, this is remarkable amounts of kind of waste oh, and the God. effort that was there to kind of get decisions. And, and all so, that's, kind of... so that's presumably driven by the consultancies, a lot of that stuff. Yes. Yeah, 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 and 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 they had the 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 cops that were there were were 
legitimately experts. Some of them were fantastic. You know, really did get the right people in the room, but the influence they had over the process yeah. was quite quite limited. Oh, no. no, it's bullshit. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. And um, you know, you get these big consultancies coming in who haven't a bloody clue, and uh, and then they take an absolute edge to scope yes. to scope out the business requirements when when the do- when the dogs on the street already know what the business requirements are. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, you know points make prizes and every day that you're there you're billing you're billing to the customer aren't you as a as a consultant um so they overcomplicate everything and um you know they they sit and hoover up all of the knowledge of people like you and then repackage it in a 50 slide powerpoint presentation that takes about four weeks to produce and states the bleeding obvious um and, and then they charge tens of millions of pounds for the privilege. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> exactly how I felt. Sorry, well, if I I signed, felt... Uh, sorry if I sound cynical about consultants, but um, it's the police have been bitten so many times in this way. And and the net, what they've actually been given, I've got to say, with the with the exception of probably, I think the Microsoft 365 rollout recently there has been really successful. Um, yeah. In terms of all of that sort of tooling, but apart from that, I'm really struggling to think of a single significant technology pro- project in policing over the last five to 10 years that has been a stellar success, you know? Yeah, and and I think that's how what I felt. I think in the end, it was that, you know, the whole end of the product was going to be we were just kind of laying cables for better network connectivity or something. And I just, I just remember feeling, I felt so far away from being a police officer at that point. You know, I almost mm. felt, I almost felt a fraud. You know, because I sat there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything here. And and there was, as I learned more about the processes the Met followed, and I, it almost becomes less specialist, you mm. know, in a way, in that, you know, if you're the OIC of a major investigation, you've just got all of the resources available to you and you just dish out tasks as you would do in a kind of in a major operation. And um, I didn't want that. You know, I want I wanted to be, you know, an expert in in, in mm. policing. And, and it just I came to the conclusion there wasn't a role for that. It didn't fit. Um, you know, certainly if I wanted more money, and something I haven't talked about is, you know, financially things were difficult. Mm. Um, you know, so I was definitely motivated by money a little bit, um, and, and felt a little stuck and then felt a little bit disappointed to get to what I consider to be, you know, the, the, the top of the tree of policing and think there isn't a place for me here either. Um, and yeah, I guess it's a very why... frustrating situation for people like you to find yourself in where you become, where you're really super knowledgeable but you're sitting at quite a low level in the organization in terms of rank. And the only way that you can improve your income, increase your income is either by doing shitloads of overtime, which yep. has a massive impact on your family life. Yeah. Um, and, and which you can't rely on anyway, you know, not, not in terms of building a, you know, a stable career and lifestyle, or you take promotion, but even by taking promotion, it's not a, it's not a massive jump up in terms of money, is it? No, slowly over time as well. So there's no there's no real quick fixes, as you know, as I'm sure there aren't for lots of places. But but yeah, I think more importantly, it was a case that I passed the sergeant's exam and I was like, yep, I'll be sergeant of this unit, perhaps, and wasn't quite as confident as maybe I should have been in that. Um, but actually, that wasn't available. So it was mm. a case of, right, you're going to be a sergeant, we're going to put you in custody, you might go back to main office. And whilst I enjoyed my time in main office, there was a part of me that felt like, you know, I'd I'd invested a lot of time and effort in in developing the skills that I had, and I I yeah. wanted to continue using them, and that just wasn't an option available to me. And mm. that's it; your decision's made for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, there's definitely something there, isn't there? And we'll come on to talk about this later on about what you're doing around unsettled police officers. But sure. um, there's definitely something there about uh, they need to try and find a way of remunerating experts in the organisation, people who have really invested in their learning, really invested in themselves, who are who are really critical to the success of of the organisation. So you think about some of the work that a really experienced DMI, for example, is doing mm -hmm. on multiple homicide investigations, without yeah. which that investigation would be a complete car crash, you know, um, and, and they're adding arguably as much value to that investigation as the SIO, aren't they? Sometimes. I think I think sometimes it gets overstated a little bit. Uh, and I think there is a danger that we kind of, through lack of understanding of what the tactics are and what they do and what they yield, that, you know, we, we overinvest in it. But there's definitely value in having somebody come in and go, right, here's you know, at least 50% of the inquiries in an, in an investigation now are digitally based, right? With the amount mm. of phones that you get and all the CCTV stuff and all the other bits and pieces. Um, to have somebody come in and say, yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll sort that out for you. So you've seized however many exhibits and we prioritize them for you. We submit them. That's all done. We do the analysis on the report. We give it over and you go, right, this is what you've got from your from your digital. There's no other digital lines of inquiry that you can realistically follow we've done your open source done a comment it's all done for you mm. um there's there's value in that that mm. doesn't mean it cracks all the case in fact most of the time it, it it doesn't but it just means that kind of you you avoid these situations where you get to a, a you know a trial after three years and they go did you look at the defendant's phone mm. and they go mm. oh no we didn't you know and then the whole case unraveled mm. um so there's a i think there's a security there um yeah. having somebody knowledgeable to make sure that you shut all those doors and do all that stuff properly yeah. um is is mega important but there's also a bit of a myth that um it's a bit of magic and you can kind of pull magic results out from nowhere sometimes you do but yeah. most of the time it's it's just making sure you cover off all the all the angles i think yeah certainly uh we don't want black box we don't want black box solutions in law enforcement that sort of spits out an answer without yeah. being able to explain where that answer came from or why yeah um you know, rabbits, rabbits out of hats and all of that. It's no good, is it? You need to Sometimes. be completely transparent. You know, some, and as a, I went to a, a conference by Adobe uh, and they were talking about the amazing stuff they were doing about, you know, they, they finding images of perpetrators from the photographs that had been taken of victims and stuff and, you mm. know, enhancing the, the the retina to the stage that you could see the, the face in it. And, you know, we, we all saw the stuff on the internet about uh, the fingerprints that were taken from a WhatsApp picture of a guy uh, and they identified it from that. And you just think there's, there's such incredible things happening with technology that that somebody yeah. needs to keep on top of um, mm. uh, because there's, you know, that, that list of things you need to consider changes, you know, every year. Yeah, well, it's a bit like the analogy is a bit like the NHS, isn't it? So the NHS is in, is in you know, arguably in crisis because of uh, an aging population and, and increases in medical technology that makes things that were not treatable 10 years ago treatable today. But it all comes at a cost, doesn't it? And yeah. and you see all the, you know, the news, the headlines about the queues outside A&E departments and ambulances waiting and people being on sufficiently well to be discharged but not well enough to go home and all of that um and technology is a little bit like that as well isn't it as technology advances uh, and the ability to extract evidence from devices improves um the expectation of, of police officers and investigators becomes greater and greater and and as you say then the questions that get asked at court as to well we know did you do x y or z um, because the the defence aren't stupid, they know yeah. that that we have the tech 
technical ability to do these things now. And when the answer comes back that no, we didn't, um, and generally that's because of a res res lack of resources or cost or whatever, but it's a it becomes a hard it becomes a harder and harder conversation to have in a court, doesn't it? If you haven't done some of those things, yeah, and and I think that's where part of the skill set lies, right? You go to court enough times, you hear enough arguments, you can make better decisions kind of at the early stage of the investigations around what you're going to prioritize and why. Um, and, and again, that's one of the one of the values of a, of a DMI, I think. But it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Like no further lines of inquiry is a, a way that lots of crimes get written off as there's nothing more we can do. But actually, it's kind of become no further lines of inquiry that we're aware of. And it really does depend who your OIC is. Or, and, and or more likely that we can afford to do. Or that we can afford, know? yeah. And, and that's fine. If you make a decision that, yeah, we could do all these things, but we're not going to. I think the risk is when somebody gets an investigation, there's these technological op investigative options that, that may yield something that they're just unaware of and that the, re the reviewing officer is also unaware of. And so stuff gets filed. Um, yeah. And so it's, the, it's both scales of the problem, right? Like you can't afford and you don't have time to do everything for every single case, but there are plenty of cases, I am sure, that um, you know, there is evidence out there, there is intelligence out there, there are things that could be done that the mm. people dealing with the cases just don't know about and and don't have access to the kind of help and support and resources that they that they should have, I think. Yeah, definitely. So so you obviously made a decision that it was time to leave policing. Was that was that a hard decision for you? Yeah, really hard. Really hard. I, you know, I don't think anybody joins up thinking that they're gonna leave. You know, I think I, I talk a lot about it now and I'm, I'm more comfortable with it, but it's a 30-year career you sign up to. Do you know what I mean? It's almost subconsciously. Like you, you, you sign up and you're done. That's that's what you're going to do and you're going to make a success of it. And I think leaving feels like a failure. It feels like you quit. feels like you couldn't make it work. Mm. Um, and and it's it became a huge, I realize this now, but it was a huge part of my identity. Mm. You know, you describe yourself to people as a detective. You're proud of that. Um, you know, you're known for something. You've developed a niche. And, and to leave all that behind was was a huge decision um mm. and yeah it's certainly not one I took lightly at all yeah and how did your parents um feel about you leaving don't go don't do it you know certainly my mum who you know is only ever done police and everything else was scary so I was a regular paycheck and you know secure and you get the pension and all the stuff that people tell you about reasons why you should stay mm. uh, and they're not wrong um and actually for her me leaving is was really scary you know really scary and, and didn't understand it and and kind of almost a bond is, is broken there a little bit because all of a sudden yeah. I'm doing something that she doesn't understand quite so much. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, there was nobody, I don't think that said, yeah, give it a go. Mm. Nobody. Yeah. Mm. That's, um, yeah, it is. It's, ter it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying. Um, even for people, some, not, not everyone, lots of people kind of can't wait to get out the door kind of at the end of a career, you know, at yeah. the end of a full 30 odd year career, whatever. But, um, yeah, I think even for the people who had a full career it's still quite scary but i mean you you know for people in your position it takes a lot of guts because um you're probably at that stage of life where you've maybe got a young family or you've got and you've got a mortgage to pay and um yeah. you know the, the the jumping out into the unknown is a is a big deal isn't it you know really i mean is. presumably finance um must have been a consideration for you as well was it yeah it's hugely so um i was top of the pay scale which is obviously where some pressure is. So think you, you sat there assessing your situation thinking things aren't going to change unless I do something. Mm. Um, and that, like I said, I took the sergeant's exam and, and thought about that. Um, and I remember being content. I remember sat there thinking, well, you know, if I get my head down and, and I, I expected maybe one day I got to inspector, but probably no higher. Um, mm. 
you know, and then you look at the salary for that and you think, well, then, you know, that'd be okay. You know, I'll get there eventually, maybe over the next 10 and you start doing the maths and, and I just didn't like it. You know, <laughs> it just seemed, seemed wrong. And by um, definition, if you had done that, you wouldn't have been doing the thing that you're really passionate about, the technology, would you? Yeah, 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 no, exactly. So, um, yeah, and like I said, it was a long time. It took me a long time to think about it. And I reached out to someone, um, uh, Tom Wheelhouse, who had a who set up a little business kind of helping police officers. And I remember there was this moment where, you know, I, I reached out and spoke to him and said, yeah, we can we can write a CV for you. And so I paid him the money to do it. And and what what I got from that was somebody wrote down my skill set in a way that was business focused rather than police focused. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden there was these different um there was a different value to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and whilst I didn't understand where it fit and what it would do, just having somebody sit down and say, you could, you know, you could explain what you do like this. You know, this is the yeah. way that you know you could explain your skill set to somebody who does mm-hmm. knows nothing about policing. I was like, oh okay, yeah, that makes sense. And the first little crack of confidence I think that I got from that. Um and it yeah. It was from there, I think, that every, everything else built. Um, and, and yeah, I think I think it's really hard. I think it's, it's difficult to underestimate just how hard it is. Yeah, um, a lot of I mean, a lot of people are very sort of, once they've been in quite a while, they've become quite uh, institutionalized in some ways in the sense that the way to articulate your value as a employee, as a police officer, yeah. is entirely different to the way that you need to articulate your value as an employee in private industry it's completely different they don't yeah. give a shit the fact that you went to x number of you know violent domestics or you arrested ten thousand people or the fact yep. that you got a commission or a chief constable accommodation for yep. jump jumping into freezing river to save a a, a child or something you know they're, they're, they're not interested they're, they are you know they're interested in terms of going to the pub and maybe talking about that but in terms exactly. of getting a job yeah is not going to get you the job is it no not, not at all and and i think people make that i think the differences in police and i think the things that you've done because you speak the same language right if i turn around and said um you know i spent three years on robbery squad or whatever and and, and conviction rate of x percent hmm. somebody reading that goes oh okay cool that, that that means that you're a good officer you know we can we hmm. can trust that you you know you're proactive and you do things but somebody outside of police and reading that goes I, I don't understand. Like it doesn't doesn't mean anything. And even though the values that you're trying to present mm. are actually the same, yeah. Because outside of policing, they can't connect the dots. They don't really understand the job. They don't really understand what it is that you've done. And nor should they. Yeah. And and yeah. The, the trick is somebody has to speak the other one's language. And yeah. police officers too often just write up their history, their career history of being a police officer, submit that over to a job that they could frankly do standing on their head. And they don't get through to an interview and then their confidence is knocked and then they think yeah. they, all they are is a police officer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It happens very quickly. And I, I actually think uh, that huge numbers of police officers, experienced police officers, massively underestimate um, what an absolute um, you know, credit or what, how much value they could bring to lots of other organisations um, because we do we do we work work to very demanding frequently impossible um deadlines we are very action and and activity focused we're very performance sort of driven we're uh, empathetic with members of the public yeah. we're um you know we're natural problem solvers um and all of those skills are incredibly valued in the private sector aren't they and really hard to come across as well because when you think about you know 
problem solving is a fairly well understood kind of transferable skill, right? And if you think about how somebody who spent 10 years in, in an office environment will explain, you know, how they've solved problems compared to the kind of problems that you've had to deal with and figure out in your career and policing, it, it, it's night and day. And the yeah. only difference is the, the language that you use to explain it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, it was the same for me. So when I left and, and I thought I was going to write content about something I knew about, um, it turns out I was embarrassed by people that, that came out of you know, university and stuff. So I was on a content team talking about cybercrime, which I thought I knew something about. In the police, I did know something about. I said I was mm. giving conferences and lectures and other bits and pieces. Um, and actually, from a commercial perspective, I knew nothing. You know, I was, mm. and that was even worse, right? So I, this identity I thought I had, mm. I didn't have outside of the police at all. Um, and actually, what people noticed was um, I used to take notes in meetings and I used to get mm. things done and I used to have, you know, difficult conversations. And I'd, you know, I, I would take, I would chat to people and find out what the issue was and then go and chat to the person they had the issue with and, and, and sort that out. And it almost felt um, almost felt ridiculous. I didn't even consider it work. It was quite petty from, yeah. from my perspective. And people seemed to take notice of it and go, oh, it's really good that you do that. And I got given another opportunity to do something completely different. Yeah. Leading a team, managing a team, um, doing something called product management, which I'd never heard of before, but ultimately was you know, similar to project management in lots of ways. There's an objective they want you to hit and and you work with a team of people to make it happen. And and I and I loved that. You know, I was yeah. really lucky to work with some really brilliant people. Um, but the reason I got that job was not because I put a CV in. Um, it was because people noticed the soft skills that you take for granted as a police officer. And yeah. just getting things done is something that's really taken for granted. Yeah, like there yeah. were plenty of occasions where weeks would go by and somebody would ask for an update about something. Oh, I haven't got around to it yet or I haven't done it. It's just not acceptable in policing. Like you just no. it would never happen. It's like the job's yours, your name's on it. So you know. deal with it and you're accountable for it. But that kind of accountability is yeah. not present in other places and i just found it really I shocking i know i know exactly what you mean yeah it's really really interesting so yeah so um so this company that you got um your first sort of job outside the police with was did it take you long to um find that job or did you have that sort of slightly teed up already before you left yeah so i like i said it was part of the project that I was on we went to to look at the company as a provider of services for the for the project right um and it was back in my hometown and you know I, I just got taken along by chance and the guy that was giving the presentation he was an ex-special and and so we had you know some stuff but it was it was a small start it was series a funded so it was quite quite early early startup mm -hmm. and um i just love what they were doing what they were doing was brilliant and, and it was the kind of thing that i'd been looking for in my own sort of training for a really long time mm -hmm. and i just googled the company i had a look at them and and, and they were advertising for a job and i thought Do you know what like i've got my foot in the door i've, I've met somebody so i can yeah you've got you know, a relationship that. there yeah yeah, so I fired the CV in and, and and went through the interview process, and frankly, I think got got lucky, and they were willing to take a bit of a chance on it. And and whether that was because they thought that might you know give them an extra chance of of landing that that deal with the maybe mm. I, I don't know. I've got I've got no shame in that to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like I said, it wasn't premeditated. I'd, I'd been thinking for a long time about what I was going to do. I like most people, I hadn't found it. I didn't see mm. anything that I looked at and thought, oh yeah, no, I'd be be really good at that job, or you know, this is something that I desperately want um so yeah it just, just did anybody did anybody try and persuade you to stay yeah I could, certainly family tried to persuade me to stay but I think having left Avon and Somerset where I'd been for a long time I'd been in this um this, this squad in in the Met for sort of six months where you know I made friends they were all brilliant yeah. but I was quite isolated You'd there was nobody kind of slightly saying, forgotten about 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. When I when I left, nothing happened. Um, but yeah, there was Joe who? Yeah, exactly that. So I came back to have my warrant card, and they said, "What? Who are you? Like, where are you from?" So I had to go back to. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, oh, okay. exactly that. So you enjoyed uh, you enjoyed the the new the new role, and uh, so describe the biggest difference between. Um, uh, it's difficult to generalize, isn't it? Because every organization, every company is different, isn't it? I suppose. But if it is possible to generalize, describe the difference in terms of the way you were treated as an employee outside the police versus inside the police. Yeah, wow. I just I just read a message from somebody who's, who's recently left and he's like really excited about his first day and that, you know, he got taken out for lunch and he got like a new swanky new MacBook and he got, you know, credit and all this kind of stuff that come in and he was just, you know, swarmed by it in that first kind of onboarding week, which is really important in businesses, just swarmed by support. Like here's mm-hmm. all the kit you could possibly need, anything else you want, like let us know and we'll get it for you. Um, and I'm sure that's not the case everywhere. I was certainly very lucky where I started, but um, I just remember the process of, of applying for like anything in the police. Like you start mm-hmm. a job and you're like, I need a thing. And they're like, all right, cool, fill out this form and somebody will get back to you in a couple of weeks and stuff. And um, or, or walking into an office and people not actually expecting you, Things like that that were that were really common in the I found in the police anyway, and and so yeah, the, the onboarding where uh, you know even in the weeks leading up to it, people were sending emails and saying if you want to come in for a chat, if you've got any questions, you know feel free. You know I met the boss of the company who gave me a you know an, you know an introduction as to what was going on, and I met the team, and we all went out for drinks and 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 just you know it was super social. I almost felt like you know after a week of it, I almost felt awkward getting paid for it. Because yeah. it was so, you know, it's all about kind of settling you in and making sure you felt comfortable. And and yeah, um, yeah night I've and worked, day. Uh, I've worked as an advisor to quite a lot of tech companies since leaving the police. And uh, it's interesting because you go in and sort of, you know, you the culture, you know, comparing the culture in different companies. And um, yeah, it's, the thing I love about it is um, the industry is, it's quite a young industry, isn't it? There's a lot of young people. Yeah um they've just got such uh enthusiasm very full of ideas uh really fresh kind of um you know innovative thinking and yeah there was a, a company one of the companies i was working for they're based out in in gdansk in poland and doing mm. a lot of really really interesting stuff around artificial intelligence and i went wow. out there and spent some time with them and you know they'd come to the uk and spend a lot of time in the uk with them and yeah, most of the most of the people I'd say the average age there was probably about twenty-five, you know. And um it can be super, yeah. super bright, um, some really super bright people. Um uh, and as well as a few grey hairs there as well of the find the finders obviously had been around the block a few times and everything, you know. But it's just um yeah, and everybody and the thing is everybody gets listened to. That's yep. the that's the, it's a very democratic kind of set up in a lot of these companies where even someone who's only been there quite a short period of time as you know they've their values for, for what they've got people, to say you know people are hired to solve problems right so you know the the chief exec does not make design decisions because you've got a designer to do that do you know what i mean and then designer knows more about it and it's all accepted yeah um and that's nice and, I, and I, I say that without being too disparaging to the police it reminded me of a really good sergeant i had one time on a rubbery squad who used to you know the team would come in and he'd do stand-ups and he'd almost without knowing what these things were kind of follow these these agile methodology type approaches in a, in a really good way mm. in policing and i always remembered that that skipper you know i didn't work with him for long but i thought he was brilliant and the way he ran the team and you know mm. the transparency around it was was fantastic and 
you know, that was probably eight years prior to kind of when I started the, started this job and and, yeah. and the comparisons there were still strong. So I yeah. just think it's good team management. I, I've got to be yeah. honest. I mean, I'm not saying it's all perfect. It's not, you know, there's no. companies, companies out there where if you, you know, it's like the old thing is that that culture, culture is set from the people at the top. And if, and if the person at the top is a bully, then, yes. then they're going to recruit uh, and surround themselves with other people who've got some toxic behaviors. And then yes. it becomes a fearful um, environment to work in. So I'm not saying it's every company is like that because it's not, Absolutely. you know, but, but, but I'd say generally speaking, um, people are definitely valued for the for what they bring to the table rather than how long they've been there or the the sort of rank, so to speak, that they've got, you know. The real investment in people, again, we had a big HR department, and I think a lot of companies do now where it's, it, there's a whole department focused on just making the work environment as pleasurable as it, as it possibly can be for the people. Um, and that's different, I think, in policing where it's more focused on making sure that you are available for, for for duty right so whilst the you know the, the package of support around somebody that um you know is is sick or can't work is 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 really good it mm. does feel like the focus is getting you back onto the front line and then once you're on the front line it's almost hr done do you know what i mean it's, it's not there's yeah. not much we can do about the work yeah. environment whereas yeah, in, yeah. In, in corporate culture the, the work environment changes to adapt to you know mm. the, the staff that they have and make sure yeah. it's as easy as yeah. possible so you're doing um so are you still with that company or have you moved on? Have you had no. a couple, two or three kind of, you know, changes along the way? Yeah. So I had one, one change. Um, so I, I had some relative success with that company and made some really great friends and, and then kind of worried that I'd become a bit, well, I might've been a bit of a one trick pony. So the, the product that I built was a bit focused on some of the stuff I'd done in, in policing around kind of crisis management and, um, you know, helping executives make decisions in, in high pressure, high risk you know, crisis scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt that maybe, you know, I wanted to, I'd become a product manager, but maybe I wasn't, maybe I was just a cop that landed in a good product and had a lucky mm -hmm. team and, and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So I wanted to test myself again. I wanted to prove that I'd done that transition. So maybe that was imposter syndrome or something else, but um, yeah, left after kind of two and a half years through COVID and other bits and pieces and, and started again. So I'm with a, another company called Magnetic Rock Now, who works closely with, with Sans, who are pretty big, cybersecurity certifier and a training body. Um, and yeah, just trying to do the same thing again, really, and, and going well so far. Good, good. Excellent. Yeah, no, really important, isn't it, to keep pushing on. And, you yeah. know, a lot of people, a lot of people say to me, um, who are maybe thinking of leaving the police or who have just left and they're sort of dipping their toe into the commercial world, um, they'll say, um, oh, you know, full of self-doubt, yeah. Um, really, uh, the police is an organization where credibility is really important, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, uh, people don't like to brag or boast or the, I mean, there are people who brag and boast, but generally speaking <laughs> in, in the police, you know, it's not seen as something that's good, yeah. a good thing to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. humility is valued, isn't it? Yeah. Um, was what, what I say to them is, um, just, just do it, you know, <laughs> don't, don't. Um, think of the reasons why you can't what don't think about the things that you don't have in your arsenal of skills yeah. um think about the things that you do and then um you need to focus on filling the gaps in your knowledge and experience and understanding um but i mean i suppose the point is that i think everyone has got some level of imposter syndrome haven't they um but that sense of imposter syndrome gradually goes away as your knowledge improves does that make sense 
Yeah, it does. Imposter syndrome is a really hot topic on LinkedIn. Lots of people seem to talk about it. And um, I remember giving a conference. I was a lecture. I was giving a speech about open source intelligence to uh, you know a, a national policing conference. And I was up on a stage and I'd done this presentation like hundred times, and I felt like the biggest imposter in the room. I was sure someone was going to put their hand up and tell me that I was wrong about something. Or I hadn't covered something and I wasn't going to be able to deal with it. And of course that never happens. Um, and and I, I was dealing with all sorts of people with all sorts of levels of experience. And we were all on a level. Never, very rarely did I meet someone who came in and taught me something new. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. Yeah. What I mean to say is that if I still felt like an imposter then in a, in a scenario where, you know, I'm as comfortable as I could possibly be like five, six years experience and a thing I've, I'm passionate about and I've, I've learned about I've got a master's degree in it. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't think it does go away, you know, and the more I speak to people who are experts in their field, all of them still feel it. And it's just, I think the difference is actually whether people accept that as a normal feeling of someone who's pushing themselves outside of their limits um, and, and trying to, you know, further their career and progress themselves and then not letting that hold you back and just accept that that kind of that anxiety, that kind of thing is just something that stays with you and is normal. And then you mm. get on with it. But the people yeah. who go, Oh my God, I feel like this. And so I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I must be doing something wrong. And it holds you back. And the, the, the only difference I think is that some people just accept that that is a normal feeling and get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, last week I had to give a, I give a, I give a, I was the guest speaker, um, to the Institute of Cyber Digital Investigation Professionals, ICDIP. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Fiona, if you're listening. Um, Fiona <laughs> uh, Patterson, who um, runs it, runs that organization, invited me to speak about uh, some of the challenges around innovation and policing. Right. And um, and I gave a sort of a you know a 30 minute um, talk about uh, my sort of observations around uh, police technology and challenges around innovation. Um, and then there was sort of 30 minutes of Q&A um, mm. and, 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 and you know and I find myself when I'm giving these talks sometimes I just think oh my god you're so full of shit you know what I mean there's got yeah. you've, you've got, this, you've got yeah. this little you've got this little voice on your shoulder it's like that yeah. little gremlin on your shoulder yeah like like saying what the fuck do you know you yeah know it doesn't go away. It does not go away. And, it, and sometimes it's louder and sometimes it's quiet. Uh, and sometimes you get comfortable and sometimes you, you push yourself and it comes up. But I think I think it's important. Like, I think, you know, people tell you how to deal with it and, and all that stuff. The truth is, I think most people feel there was an anecdote I heard about. I think it was Buzz Aldrin or something. And he was, found himself at this party for, you know, exceptional achievement and stuff. And he's just sat there looking at all these amazing people. And he says, that, I don't know why I'm here. I just followed orders. And you think, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's just wherever you look, people feel like they, you know, they they don't deserve it. They haven't achieved it. Yeah, um, yeah. And the ones that don't feel like that, I'm not sure I want much to do with anyway. Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Is that, you know, if somebody, if I was interviewing someone from a job for a job and they exuded a complete and utter lack, <laughs> of, lack of self-doubt, yeah. I would, that would start alarm bells ringing for me. 100%. Hundred percent. You know, everyone needs that little bit of humility, don't they? And it's so. like to admit, if you get asked a question, you don't know the answer. Don't bullshit. Just say, "I, you know, I don't know." To be honest, what do you think? You know, yeah. or that's it. But, that's um, it. That's it. Like, 100%. You're doing so. You, so as well as your so, as well as your um sort of earning a living. Yes. Um, you you've become quite prominent, very prominent on LinkedIn as someone who is supporting police officers who are transitioning from policing yeah. into life in the private sector. So 
how does that I mean I know I know I know what you're doing but just describe kind of um what you're doing and kind of why you decided to do that yeah so again it, it, it was not planned um I was looking at uh, I was learning about marketing which is something I don't know anything about and uh, organic marketing which is where you produce you don't pay for ads right you produce content and generate audiences mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to learn that as a product manager and I took a course called ship 30 which is um you know is done by some Americans who are fantastic at, at online writing mm -hmm. um and the idea is is that you just put 30 pieces of content out there on the internet over 30 days. And that's how you figure out how to do it again, get over the imposter syndrome and just start mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to write about cybersecurity or web development or something and no one cared. And I wrote about um, policing and leaving policing. And actually there was a spike in traffic. People seem to resonate with that kind of content, probably because of the network that I'd already created. Right. So yeah. that was more interesting than writing to no one. So I started writing about that uh, and, and didn't stop. I've been doing that since uh, I think April, and met some really fantastic people and that's yeah. that's grown into what it is now um and the reason i do that is uh partly the marketing stuff and the reason i keep doing it is um my cousin who used to work for the for the metropolitan police um found himself in some real difficulties to personal troubles and you know he had kids and divorces and marriages and and mm. mortgages and things he couldn't afford to pay uh, and he came to me kind of a couple of weeks after maybe a month or so after i left left the Met to go and kind of work with this job. And he asked me how I did it. Uh, and I didn't really have the words to articulate it. I just used to say, you know, I got lucky. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you could do the same. You just, you know, need to figure it out. You can put yourself out there. And it was really rubbish advice. Um, and yeah, whilst I don't um, hold myself responsible, for it, I don't think I could have done any better at the time. He he unfortunately took his own life um, a couple of oh, years ago. Couldn't, couldn't figure a way out. And he was on the sick in the Met. Uh, and just things had gone so terribly downhill for him. You know, he, he oh, didn't, and he just didn't see, didn't see that he could, uh, he didn't see he could get promoted. He didn't think he was, he was good enough at the, at the job to do that. And his reputation had been a bit tarnished by the sickness he'd taken off and the mental health problems and things. Um, and, uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't see a way out of that. And I understand why that felt difficult. And I think if I'd had my time again, I could probably have broken down his skill set a little bit better and explained mm. to him kind of these are the other things that you could you could do that you're actually really good at that you know all of this history that you're carrying with you all the baggage that you're carrying with you in the police doesn't necessarily have to have to follow you out um yeah yeah so well, i wouldn't uh i wouldn't blame yourself for that you know but uh you know i can see how that was very upsetting and distressing but but yeah, I mean, it's easy. Yeah, I, think I, I think everyone in these situations kind of looks back and thinks, gosh, is there something else I could have done or uh, whatever? You know? Yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, but by the grace of God, go I like I've got a, a complicated family background and, and uh, yeah. yeah. And I think I got lucky in that I found somebody who was able to kind of show me a, a different way of, of doing stuff. And I hope mm -hmm. that by putting some stuff out there on LinkedIn, that kind of you know, people who see it can get a little bit inspired by it and think, okay, yeah, there, there are other options. And I just think we need to normalize it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, you know, it, it does feel like it isn't an option to leave for whatever reason. It's just not an option. And it should be, you know, we don't want people to feel like they're on conscription, right? If you don't want to be mm -hmm. in the police anymore, you're really skilled. You're really talented. You've done lots of things that other people never will do. Mm -hmm. And you can add an awful lot of value to an awful lot of businesses. Like it's not even a case of what you can do. It's a case of what you want to. Yeah. Um, and then we can figure out how you put those skills into good practice 
for that company, for that business or, or whatever. And so I kind can... of see you as the new Tom Wheelhouse in a weird sort of a way, because Tom, Tom, Tom was doing stuff for, with, was it Mitify, his company? Yeah, it's funny and, to say um, that. And, and he's kind of moved on and gone on to do other stuff, hasn't he? I'm not quite sure what he's doing now, but you seem to have stepped into that space a little bit, I think. Well, I, Tom was the guy that helped me leave. Um, he was the guy that wrote my CV. So I've been in contact with Tom kind of ever since. And um, and uh, yeah, so uh, exciting news is that me and him are going to do a course together. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna try and do. It. And, and what I'm finding is that people come to me and say, "I want a CV," and what they actually mean is, "I want you to tell me what I can do and what I can apply for." And I'm not actually particularly good at that. If you come to mm. me with a job description, uh, I can very like, comfortably, I think, kind of tie up your skill set to the job right. and write that in a, in a in a compelling way but when people come and say what is it that i can do um i don't really i'm not a coach i don't really have that background i, I don't know it's your choice right like, i don't mm. so tom's got some really fantastic stuff that he's done about you know understanding your values and and, and what it is that, that, that you know finding that fit finding the opportunities that, that maybe you want to follow so we're going to try and you know combine forces a little bit and oh, that's um, brilliant that's a brilliant idea and and presumably that's going to be a, a commercial offer as such yeah, I think so. I, I think we're going to do similar to the, because I had a really great experience with that Ship 30 course. It's a cohort base. It's all about kind of getting groups of people together to do things together and and, and build a bit of a community around it so that they, um, you know, encourage each other to to keep moving forward. Um, so I think we're going to try that. We might do something in, in, in January. Um, we'll probably start, you know, uh, putting offers kind of explaining what the curriculum is going to be and how much it's going to cost and and yeah. and what that looks like over the next couple of weeks and and see how it goes so no guarantees of anything but um yeah. you know he's got a lot of material that he used to run it's all cpd accredited and other bits and pieces so. yeah well i wrote an article for him ages ago um which yeah. he put on his website and i talked about you know some of my observations about transitioning into the private sector and stuff so yeah and i think there's a lot of people out there like me who have done They've done similar kind of stuff, and I think they all really want to help, you know. And and, yes, on that, uh, and on that basis, you've set up this sort of network, haven't you? Yeah. So the network's been really difficult. So again, I'm 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 trying, I'm playing, I'm trying to figure in my spare time, trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. And and I, if I'm honest, I thought that you know, if I created this network of 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 a place where like ex cops could come and try and help, and you know, current cops could come and, and that yeah. would just kind of fire off and, and happen yeah. all magically. And it, it, it hasn't, if I'm honest, it's not mm. not how it panned out. Mm. And what I've learned is that you need to, um, you need to provide input, constantly provide impetus and it's yeah. got to be more in depth than maybe. And that takes time, doesn't it? So that's what I'm hoping to do with the course. So that actually right. rather than say, right, it's going to be a constant thing. We'll have this network. I'll, I'll push people through the course. And we'll, we'll segregate it a little bit. So if you're yeah. on the course, you're in a community with people from the course and we can, you know, update the content every week and kind of drive that through. Yeah. And then hopefully have this kind of free tier area where the material that comes out of that and stuff that people are willing to share can just be posted there for free. So, um, yeah, it's it's finding a balance. It's about, you know, I, I, would, I spoke to tech vets who do this stuff as a charity for the for the military um, and, and maybe kind of replicating that model and, and trying to do it for free. And I know Tom Wheelhouse worked really hard at trying to get the federations to pay for some of this stuff. And I just I'm not sure. I'm not sure that kind of um, that level of change is something I'm capable of in my spare mm. time. But mm. I am capable of saying, you know, what, a couple of times a year, I'm going to run this course for 30 days and it's going to cost a bit, but yeah. hopefully something affordable. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, because um, if you're going to do some, my attitude is if you're going to do something, you want to do it properly. Um, yeah. And you also need to know when to fail, when you're failing and then fail fast, yes. you know. 
uh, don't don't keep flogging something that that isn't work that isn't working but i i know from doing this podcast how much time it takes you know so um you know teeing up new guests um kind of exchanging all the sort of emails with them in terms of all their expectations sorting out the interviews themselves then editing it afterwards and then uploading it and all of this kind of stuff. It take it doesn't take ages and ages, but it does take time. Don't get wrong. I'm not complaining about it. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. But, but when you add it on top of all the other stuff yes. that, that you have to do in life, um, life admin and work and everything else and kids yes. and all of that, it does become um you know quite it's it's another thing on the to-do list isn't it i suppose yeah and it's my cousin that keeps me going um and and that is the motivation that like you know you certainly do you put posts out or whatever and and you know, get no engagement or whatever. it doesn't always work right it never was perfect mm. but he certainly keeps you going and um there's a benefit to me as well right so again this is all about the identity stuff so if i can prove that i can grow a community and grow a product and and, and all that kind of stuff off my own back then that mm. benefits me in my career as well so um, it, it certainly works, certainly fits. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have found a couple of people that are interested in doing the same. I've got a nice little community on LinkedIn of people mm. that, that are very supportive and, and it's exciting. I, I love it. And, and I guess the difficulty mm. is, is people come to me and ask me for things I can't give. Mm. Um, and, and that whilst that's a good thing, I need to find, you know, I put pressure on myself to find ways to fill those gaps a little bit. So yeah, 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 yeah. you can end up, um, you can end up people treating, treating you a bit like you, like, like uh you're the dad or something you know it's just like you know um you want to help but equally people need to help themselves as well don't they yeah it's a bit it was an analogy that was given of like if somebody sat in a, on the hard shoulder in a car and it's broken down everybody drives past you right but if if you get out and you start pushing everybody stops to help um mm. and and it's, it's there's a bit of that and i also think there's a bit of a misunderstanding like it's not intentional but some people do feel entitled to this help and uh, so they yeah. should right yeah. but but actually like i'm a policeman and i, I want to leave and there's no one helping me. So I need to forget, I need to have a call with you. And you think, <laughs> sure, but that's not necessarily how this works. And I get this a lot with other coaches and stuff who kind of put those services out there and they just they don't understand sometimes that, they, you know, that you might have to pay. You know what I mean? It's a private, yeah. it's not provided to you through the Federation. Yeah, it's not a charity. Yeah, well, this is it. And, and and I would love it to be, you know, and I think Tom, I think that's probably why Tom didn't do it, didn't continue doing it is because he didn't feel comfortable charging for it and felt it should be paid for by by the police. I agree, mm. but it's not it's not going to be. Yeah, but if you think that through, why on earth would the police or any part of the police organization pay money that yes. helps people leave the police? Yeah, so, I, I agree. You know, and, and, and it's I, like, I mean, I know it's a weird business model, isn't it? Because, I mean, we can see why it exists. And it's actually really, don't get take this the wrong way, but it's actually really sad that we're even having this conversation Agreed. because because people shouldn't want to leave the police Agreed. they should see them 100%. they should see the police as a career maybe not for life but for a good period of time um yes. but sadly we know through the attrition rates at the moment people are leaving in their droves aren't they jumped by 72% i think didn't it last year and 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 it's just not I, I I know what the perks used to be. I mean, I, I know the perks you, you would have had. You know, I think my dad he retired maybe twenty years ago, and he, he lost his luggage and on a on a holiday, and and he was able to claim that through police insurance. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's just yeah. there's some of the ben- and and my uncle got given a police house in London. Um, you know, but my but my mum had like rent allowance and other bits and pieces. There's all sorts of things that the police used to do, and and uh, you know, you say 
whereas now people stay in the in in response police and whatever for kind of eight to ten years and earn their stripes or whatever but back in the day you know you do a different job every two years there's yeah. a squad you could go on or there was a thing attachment you could have and 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 that career just looked different the opportunities yeah. just looked different and and people do say sometimes you know you're quite negative about policing i don't i actually don't mean to be i i credit mm. the vast majority of the success i've had to my experiences in policing but what mm. does frustrate me is I remember how I felt when I was in that position and wanted to leave. I obviously know how my cousin felt when he was in that position and, and the lack of support that there was around it. Mm. And like I said, I got lucky that I found Tom who got it and was able to speak to me about it and, and took the time. And yes, I paid him, you know, I paid him to help write the CV and stuff, but that's the point. That's the moment I would credit with, you know, that, that gave me the option. And, and, mm. and I think that's important. And I do think in the same way, the military normalized leaving. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities between how institutionalized yeah. you get in the police and there should be some degree of support. Like there's so many people that feel that they have to stay, um, mm. be that because of the pension or because they don't have any other options. And I don't think that's good for anybody, especially as you get to the top of the tree and people get a little bit um, averse to making decisions and are just kind of trying to look after, you know, their, yeah, their welfare, yeah. their nest eggs. I, I understand that, but you know, it should be an option for people who don't really want to be there. Like, yeah, we should make it easier for them to to, yeah. to find. I also I also think um, it should we should also make it easier for people to come back if they want. Oh, you know, God, maybe think... to, and to drop back in and out of the organisation. If the amount if... of people, the amount of people who left quite bitter or angry, that would absolutely rip your arms off to come back and try and help. You know, yeah. for the right kind of package, just every single nobody I've spoken to has gone. I would never go back. Absolutely not. For the right kind of package or the right kind of arrangement to drop in and do some work for kind of a month or whatever, or, or yeah. a year or, or yeah. even longer, they would love to do that. Yeah, they would yeah. Absolutely love I to. mean, but I they... think I, I probably think there's something in there about a hybrid uh, option somewhere halfway between being a special and being a full sort of um, you know enlisted kind of employee police employee there's probably something halfway there that where you could Maybe. where you could drop in a night to fill gaps in staffing um uh you know and get remunerated for it uh so yeah you, so yeah. you could you know there's different models there on this because that's what i'm saying there's different models that it doesn't have to be yeah. you're either in or you're out yes. you know and that's the truth is that i think as you probably know more than most is that that policing family actually extends a long way beyond beyond the organization there's loads of people who are ex-cops who like you said everybody wants to help you reach out to an ex-cop yeah. and say hey i used to work here can you absolutely all the time in the day for, in the world for yeah. you it's um, like the arm it's like the reservists isn't 100%. it like the, the armed forces reserve kind of model and i think that definitely should be exploring what that might what yeah. that might i think he's like. like you i think he's an untapped resource and i think um yeah some, some incredible people have gone on and i talk about this a lot like if you're not sure what to do use linkedin should pick a keyword pick like project or uh mm. you know risk or whatever and mm. do a people search and i can share with you how to do that if you don't know but you get a list of all these people that used to do used to be in the police used to be in your old police force who've gone on to do other things yeah and if you have to collate that list across all the forces like the amount of skills and talent that's in that wider police family that yeah. minute is completely untouched yeah. is yeah. um yeah. Is, is remarkable um so yeah i totally agree Listen, my friend, it's probably not a bad point to to wrap it up, but um, sure, I've really enjoyed that. It's fascinating, and um, yeah, I I love I love what you're doing. I love your passion and enthusiasm. Um, you're just such a great kind of advocate for policing, even though in a we weirdly you're kind, of, <laughs> you're kind of helping people leave, aren't you? But but you know, the fact is that those people are going to leave anyway, probably. 
Um, and I, I just think, that, you know, you're you're making that transition so much smoother for them. And so kind of well done you, really. I mean, I'd love to have a chat. Um, we'll definitely have to have a chat offline about some sure. of the te technology stuff. Yeah, of I course. Think, I think you'd find, um, you know, what what we're doing at the moment really, really interesting. Definitely. Um, I'd love, to, I'd love to, I'd love to show it to you and see what you think, really. So, uh, yeah, so well, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the support. Really appreciate it. It it, it matters a lot. I think you know, it, rank matters. I never achieved any rank. I never retired. Uh, so to have somebody kind of at least endorse it and just say do you know what this is a thing is, yeah, is yeah. massive for me so thank no, you so brilliant. much brilliant um, and uh, just for people if people want to get in touch with you how do they get in touch with you yeah i've got a website so joecrocker.co.uk um not complicated linkedin is probably the best way to get hold of me at the minute um you send me messages on linkedin i'm rubbish at emails um but yeah i've got it's all on the website so they can brilliant. Just fantastic listen my friend um let's let's catch up offline i'll drop you an email and yeah, we'll uh, be really really value your thoughts around what we're doing at the moment Fantastic. Take care, Ian. Thanks very free much. It's called free consultancy. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. Okay. Take, care. take care. Cheers. Happy Christmas to you. Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. 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 Once we had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him, it really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town. Oh. <laughs>